spinning back to the open side. Karim Bete, Optical here for Samu, who's quick. Pete Samu looking for Karim Bete. Back to Samu. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Hello and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby. We're the people's podcast, providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. I'm your host, Ando. With me is Mitch and Lockie. And tonight, we will be covering the Wallaroos build-up to the opening of the women's rugby season for 2023. The Super Rugby Pacific Round 12, the match of the week, the Chiefs versus the Reds. That's why Lockie's here this week. And the locker room. Lockie, you must be incredibly happy with a record-breaking match which occurred for your beloved Reds on the weekend. Oh, about damn time. That's what I was thinking, really. It's been 10 years since we had a win over the ditch, which is agonising to think about, really. But huge win for my beloved Reds. Never in doubt. We're always going to go over and knock off the <laughs> unbeaten Chiefs. I don't know why everyone's so surprised, <laughs> really. Oh, heart attack stuff at the end there. But thrilled to be here. Good to see you, boys. And a win for the Tars. And a win for the Tars, Mitch. You must be in good spirits this Monday night that, that we're recording. I am. I'm. Um, I'm wearing my my Waratahs heritage polo uh, for the podcast after the, I guess, slack I was getting from you and my brother during the game when I was cheering for the Rebels and you were and getting up when. Look, I've got to. I've got to say before we dive into it too much. I'm an Australian <laughs> rugby um, fan first, and then a, a Waratahs fan second. No, so not. if one of the Wallabies boys makes a break. Is doing well. I'll give him a cheeky, cheeky cheer. So oh, why not, right? Uh, the best part was when um, non Wallaby eligible international wingers like Monte Ioani dropped two absolute sitters right in front of you and I, and we were just giving it to him, just going, "Come on, Monte, you're you." Just the, the kind of positive, positive, uplifting things that he needs to be reminded about for dropping <laughs> the sitters and bombing a couple of tries. But hey. We're jumping ahead of ourselves. We've got a few things we've got to get to before we review those matches. So, Mitch, first up, we've got the Super Rugby tipping. Let's see where you're at and who is in the top three. Well, I'd like to, to pump my tyres up a little bit and say I've gone up 20 spaces. Last week, I was 141. And if you're following along on YouTube, you can see I'm 121 now. So I'll, I'll pat myself on the back there. Um, we have also had two new people jump into the top three. So Dan G or Jojo Rabbit is still in first place and he seems to have an iron grip on number one at the moment. But Paul W or Team Team Laup, I think that's how you pronounce that, is jumped up into second place and Nolsey or John N has jumped into third place. So well done to both of those guys for doing so well and getting up into the top three for the first time this year. Uh, I'd like to just state that after being in the top 30 last week, I'm now in the top 20. Um, so it, like I said, it, it is varying a little bit depending upon like what, where I am and what the top is, but yep. Back up to top 20. Uh, Lockie, do you have any idea roughly where you are? Just had a sneaky peek then and not quite top 20, but if we want to extend to top 75, I sit pretty at 72. Really? Nice. I'm actually happy to Beautiful. extend it to a top 72. So well done, mate. Very well done. <laughs> um, okay. So a couple of calls to action before we get into the show for itself. Two simple ones. Firstly, join our Discord channel to be a part of the best Australian rugby community going around. The link is on any of our social media profiles. And secondly, please consider going to ko-fi.com slash pickanddriverugby and supporting us with a one-off or monthly payment. Well, that's it from me. Let's jump on into the first segment on the Wallaroos build-up. Let's go. Cool. 
It is time to talk some Wallaroos. It's that time of year. The first squad for 2023 has been announced. And to start things off, we've actually got some some sad news in a way. Uh, this was announced this afternoon that Shannon Parry has officially announced her retirement. So that means we will get to see her this weekend for the Wallaroos, her last game on Australian soil before she does hang up the boots uh, and then sort of moves into a bit of, of coaching and, and development um, away from, I guess, playing which is good to see she's sticking around Australian rugby. Lucky, what were your thoughts when you first saw the announcement come through? Oh, massive loss. Massive loss to Australian rugby on the field, but it's so good that she's sticking around, like you mentioned, Mitch. When I think of Shannon Perry, I think of the 2016 Rio Olympics. I think everyone probably has that immediate connection to seeing one of the original Golden Girls and the co-captain with Shani Williams at the time leading us to a gold medal in what was such an important moment, not just for rugby, but for women's sport in Australia. We've seen sevens explode over the past eight years since the Olympics and Shannon was such a big part of that. But also, and I, and I didn't realise, it didn't quite click to me until just before reading the article, but four World Cups, what an incredible achievement in 15s as well. Yeah, absolutely incredible. I think the first one was 2010 was the first World Cup appearance and she was the captain for the delayed 2021 World Cup, which happened last year. So it just shows how decorated she is as kind of like a trailblazer, one of one of the really eminent figures within women's rugby within Australia in both the 15 and the seven aside format. And she's just one of those people that I think has had such an integral role within women's rugby in helping kind of the next generation of young rugby players come up and come through. And so the role that you referred to earlier, Mitch, was the uh, Rugby Australia's National Emerging Sevens coach. And she's actually going to be taking a team to the 2023 Commonwealth Youth Games in Trinidad and Tobago in August. So like you said, it's wonderful that she's staying involved. Really, really keen to go out and cheer on and support her this Saturday. And it's going to be absolutely wonderful to give her the fitting reception or fitting finale that she deserves out in front of an absolutely packed Allianz Stadium. And I think what's really uh, like an achievement that she's made is she's probably one of the first people that comes to mind of the pathways and what you can do for women's sport in Australia. The fact that she has been so successful in the sevens, she's then transitioned across. Well, she started in 15s, went across into the sevens program, excelled at both, um, led the Wallaroos, as you mentioned, Ando, to the World Cup last year. And the, it's a loss in some ways to the Wallaroos that she is stepping away now, but times come where you have to do that. But the fact that we're not losing her to Australian rugby is just such a great thing that, and, and so immediately too, like oftentimes these players will take some time, step away from the game and come back in a year or two. The fact that she's sort of playing a last test on Saturday and then basically stepping straight into the coaching role is really Really exciting for Australian rugby to see how she can help that next generation sort of progress. But if we dive then into the squad that was announced, uh, there's a lot of names there. There's a lot of asterisks as well, if you are uh, following on on YouTube, of uh, uncapped players who have been announced in the Wallaroos for the first time. Lockie, if we focus on the players that have been named for the first time, which names jump out to you and which ones are you most excited to see included? First one that sticks out is Karis Dallinger, mm. having the Kiwi, who's suddenly not a Kiwi, jump aboard. And she was so integral to the Reds' run to the final, her partnership with 
Diane Heaney, who sadly is not eligible, we can't pinch her. But I mean, Dallinger's kicking game changed the way that the Reds were able to play this year. So a massive in to have as a playmaking option with Arabella McKenzie still abroad. But I was really interested to see and excited to see uh, the addition of Jay Hirawai as well. Mm. I thought yeah. she was fantastic um, as a playmaking halfback down at the Brumbies. She's a real live wire and she's really strong either side of the ball. So I'm excited to see how she can go in what's a real backlog of nines that are starting to crop up. We're seeing Lane Morgan in pole position, um, but there's plenty of talent in the playmaking and it's running nines department at the moment. Ando, any other names that jump out for you that you're excited to see included? Well, yeah, to an extent, I'll just add to it. There's a player that I'm really interested isn't present. So you spoke, obviously, um, about the fact that we now have Karis Dellinger there. Waratah's number 10, Ella Ryan's not there. And so from what I've heard, Ella Ryan and Grace Kemp, Grace Kemp not being present in the picture as well, have unfortunately been poached across into NRLW. Now, I say unfortunately from a rugby union fan's perspective, um, the reality is they're going to get paid more in NRLW. And so it, it makes sense for them from a kind of professional, um, per, sorry, personal and professional perspective to go where they are paid well for their services. Um, but having those two players just gone with little opportunity to farewell them and say goodbye is really disappointing. Ella Ryan, obviously from the Brumbies, moved up to the Waratahs with Arabella McKenzie gone and probably would have been one of the maybe front runners alongside Karis Dallinger for that um, Wallaroos number 10 spot. So yeah, just pretty interesting change. But one player who I will point out, I mean, how can you? Caitlin Hulse. How can't you point out a 16-year-old being brought into the Wallaroos squad after a fantastic season for the Waratahs? Um, Mitch, having watched her so much throughout the season, she's just so entertaining. How do you think she's going to be able to take if she take to the field if she does get the opportunity this weekend? I think this is the perfect opportunity, and that sort of leads us into my next question. So well done there, Ando. But this is the perfect opportunity for Jay Dragoning the coach to give some of these younger players the opportunity to get their first cap for the Wallaroos. No disrespect to Fijiana at all, and we expect them to come in and, and perform well against the Wallaroos. And with their win in Super W, you'd expect the majority of that team to be sort of make the national squad, even though we don't really know. We have we've been trying to, as we said before the pod endo, trying to find out who is named in that Fijiana team and who's in that squad, and we can't officially find anything listed so far. Um but it's a great opportunity for some of these younger players to get some experience to, if not start, come off the bench um, and play kind of like a warm-up test to some of the, the te- more important tests to come later in the year. Uh, Lockie, on that point of players that haven't been capped for the Wallaroos yet, how many do you expect to be named in the 23 on Saturday? Oh, geez, that's a, that's a rogue one. I'm not sure I can speak to it, but I certainly think there are people that have played themselves into a starting role that we could look at. I think that, and it's people that you wouldn't typically expect. I think um, Lamia Bacetavalangi was a revelation being able to play across the pack for the Rebels and she'd be a real injection of energy um, either in the front row or across what is already a pretty stacked back row. So I'd expect her to look in the propping department if she does get a gold jersey in the next couple of weeks. But Caitlin House is a standout. She was really strong for most of that TARS campaign. And then you look at people like um, Faitala Maleka, who was also really strong and is a playmaking option as well. So there's a few people that could potentially get in there. But at the end of the day, 
you say it's a warm-up test. It's a really important test for us as well mm. because we need to start building that momentum before WXV. And at the end of the day, we want to be finishing strong through the Pacific Four and getting in that top division. Yep. yep. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we've spoken, we've, we've touched on the players that were included. Let's touch a little bit on the players that weren't included, particularly those players that are playing overseas, so that sort of quartet of players that are over in England. Obviously, the timing in being included in this squad doesn't work out considering they're still contract over there and they're still playing in um, the Premiership competition. Do we expect those players to come back and feature quite heavily for the Wallaroos later in the year? I would be expecting so. It had been what a number of the players had mentioned previously, a desire to continue where possible playing for the Wallaroos. And, I mean, whilst obviously every single test where you're playing for your country matters this is not a part of the pacific four it's not a part of the qualification process for the um what's it called world 15 if that's the proper name of the comp sorry i've just had a mental blank for it um so this this is one that we can probably not do without them but recognize that they're contractually obliged and so make do without but i mean at this point in time you've got to say arabella mckenzie is the front running number 10 um that having Laurie Kramer back at 15 would be incredible for a goal kicking, although Desiree Miller has been very good for the Waratahs in that. Um, so there's there's a number of players that you would just welcome back with open arms playing overseas, and that's just because of the class that they have. That's just, it's just a, a step above um, some of the players playing in Australia at the moment. Especially playing at Fulton as well. I mean, you've got mm-hmm. Ian Chancellor walks into that seven jersey with Shannon Parry not being available yep. due to retirement now. Caitlin Leaney has been the form player in the tight five for Harlequins since going across as well. And like you said, Laurie Kramer can plug it anywhere across that back three. So they're all players that start if they're available. So I guess now is the opportunity with this Fiji game for someone to put their hand up, whether that is a Caitlin House and she's up to it, or whether it's someone like a Pissy Palu, who's also mm. played really well for the Brumbies this season and could lock down a centre role, probably with George Friedrichs. Maybe that's something we start seeing as well. Lockie, I'll, I'll throw this one to you before we move off and to look to the, the tests coming up for the Wallaroos. But your coach, your, um, you've taken over from Jay Dragoning and we've now had the announcement that the captain is stepping away after this weekend. Who, who are you promoting as captain for the rest of the year? Oh, it's hard to look past Gracie Hamilton again. It's just an easy pickup. I think the leadership that she has displayed as being past Tars and Wallaroos captain She's had international experience now over in Montpellier. It's hard to look past her. So that'd be my stopgap. But if I was going to throw a spanner in the works, I'd look at someone like an Ashley Masters leading from the front who has been probably the form forward across Super W. So maybe you could go down that path as well. Great shout. Great shout. I'm just going to jump in there, Um, I'd also love to see Georgie Friedrichs in there as well so that she can have her sunnies on when doing all kind of the post-match presses as captains (laughs) as well. That'd be great. Anyway, moving on. Well, if we look at the tests that are coming up for the Wallaroos later this year, so obviously this uh, this weekend we have Saturday against Fijiana. Um, they don't play their next test until the 29th of June. So there's such a gap there between test matches for the girls. And that's what really sort of makes you wonder how much of this test really is uh, like a full idea of putting your, your best team on the paddock or just sort of giving game time to some of the younger players and then, giving time for the girls to sort of get into the season as it progresses. So um, on the 29th of June, KO Stadium in Brisbane. I'm actually not sure where that is. Lockie, you're the... Redcliffe. Redcliffe, baby. That's where the Dolphins are. 
Oh, is that where it is? Fins up. Okay, so <laughs> Wallaroos are playing at, at Dolphins, Dolphin Stadium. Uh, 29th of June against the Black Ferns. We then play um, straight into the Pacific, what is it, World Pacific World Four. 15? Pacific 4 first. Or is this the Pacific 4 before the World 15? Well, it's a qualification process for and then World 15s after. Gotcha. So we've got um, 8th of July, we're playing USA in Ottawa. Uh, we then play Canada in Canada uh, and then finishing off against New Zealand. Um, that game looks like it hasn't got an official, on the 30th of September, hasn't got an official uh, location yet. So somewhere in New Zealand that will be played before we move into that World 15 later in the year. So lots of rugby to be played for the Wallaroos this year and, and lots to get excited about. Um, anything else you boys kind of wanted to say before you shift off and move into Super Rugby? I'll jump in quickly. It's just get down there. Get get If you're in Sydney, get to the game this weekend. So it's a double header. If you've got Waratah's membership, you can get into the stadium early um, for free. You don't need to buy the extra ticket or anything like that. Um, and you get two games for the price of one. Get there early and support our women. They deserve our support. It's going to be a load of fun. Excellent game. You know that the Fijiana are going to bring it. And I'm really excited for the quality of the Fijian crowd this Saturday night. Having both the national team and the Fijian Ndrua playing one after the other, the Fijian contingent is going to be loud and proud and entertaining. So get along there. It's going to be fun and I'll see you there. And I guess following up on that as well, if you are on social media, make sure you are following the Wallaroos because they've put some really cool content out in the last few days. They've come together. They're in camp for the for this week and they've got a few videos sort of showing behind the scenes some play interviews, a little bit of banter between players, which we all love to see. So if you aren't following them, make sure you give them a cheeky follow and, and get amongst that as well. All right, shall we shift across into Super Rugby? Who's running this one? Endo, I think you are. I am. Game on. So we had an incredible round of Super Rugby for round 12. And the first game of the weekend opened up with, as we mentioned earlier, a historic victory by the Queensland Reds over the Chiefs. It was 22-25, beating the Chiefs away from home. The Force then got up over the Fijian and Drua 34-14. Canes absolutely smashed Moana 71-22. The Crusaders and Blues, probably what was picked as the match of the round prior to the round beginning, was a very, very hard-fought 15-3 grind by the Crusaders over the Blues before the Waratahs were able to eventually get away with a comfortable 38-20 win. By no means was that comfortable throughout the match, though. And then the Brumbies were able to put away a pretty plucky and resolute Highlanders outfit 48-32. So actually, some pretty good performances. Um, We had one, two... Three, four of the Aussie teams win, which is pretty good considering they were playing one team was playing another Aussie team. So it's pretty great. Now, we're not going to start off with the Chiefs and the Reds. We're going to save that as the match of the round. Lockie tried to argue that the Waratahs Rebels was the match of the round, but we were just like, no, no, Lockie, let's let the Reds have this opportunity. Does that sound right to you, mate? Crystal clear. Yeah. Crystal clear. Excellent. Well, Why don't we just go through and we'll make a couple of quick comments about each of the games before we um, get into the match of the round. So starting off with the Force, 34, Fijian and Drua, 14. I mean, is it too simple, Mitch, to simply claim 
that the travel factor of going all the way from Fiji across to Perth was the hardest thing that the Drua had to overcome within this game. It definitely feels like it, doesn't it? Like we've been talking about this for the last few weeks that the Drua at home are an absolutely different 15 to when they travel. Uh, playing them at home, no one wants to do it. They can beat the best teams in the comp on their day, but then they travel and it just seems like they just, the, whatever it is, if it is the, the length of travel or that the teams and the players aren't used to the, the length of time and the sort of disruption to prep and all that type of thing. They just didn't look like firing a shot against the uh, the force this weekend. As as good as the force victory was, it wasn't a, an outstanding performance by the force either. So um, it's kind of chalk and cheese last week against that Hurricanes victory for the Drua. Lockie, the Drua had 20 turnovers conceded to 11 by the force. And whilst their tackle count was pretty good, it just shows that even the Drua when they don't hold onto the pill, struggle to make inroads against opposition teams that are well-organized. What do you think they need to be working on moving forward to make sure they can actually be getting some improved results away from home? Well, it's that ruck security, isn't it? We see the Drua play such an expansive game and we can wax lyrical about the offloads and whatever. But the problem with that style is that if you get isolated and you're not able to give the ball away, it's turned over straight away. And that's what the force were so good at. They were able to shut down with a two-man tackle and isolate these runners who are going one-off. And then you see the likes of the Michael Wells and the Carlo Tizanos getting over that ball and stripping it away. And the force backs to the credit as well are really effective at getting over the pill too. People like Hamish Stewart, Sam Spink, they do have that skill set, which is really positive to see from them. They're not just one-trick ponies, the force. Yep. So that's what the Drua need to work on, really. It's having that second man to come through and clear and have the bullet, which is that first clear out to make sure that they can secure a ball if it's not coming as quick. But I don't think we can take much away from the force. I mean, they're coming back from an absolute pantsing over in Christchurch, even though, as we sort of covered on the pod, they didn't play too badly. And I think that's an indication of where they are. They're able to put a team like the Drua away by sticking to their structure and Typically, what we've seen in the Force's history is they, they're a gritty side that thrives with being able to grind teams down, turn over the ball, and counterpunch. They're a gritty team. And we saw that. I was really proud of their performance, actually, over in Perth. I mean, and on that point, um, they had, what, 59% possession, 67% territory. Mitch, how do you think Simon Cron is going to be feeling about this victory, considering the season that they've had and the position that the squad are in in terms of experience and growth and depth? I think they'll take a lot of learnings from it and they'll be confident in the way that they were able to finish the game off. We've seen them so far this season be in games for 45, 50, 60 minutes and sort of trail away and, and let the opposition kind of run away with things. So the fact that they were able to stick within it for so long and, and make sure and ensure that they got the victory is a, a positive thing for Cron. Um, they still aren't settled on their best uh, backline at the moment and they've got players sort of filling holes at the moment, which probably wouldn't be the overall plan. Uh, so the fact that they are still being able to get that experience into the wider squad is a good thing and they are still able to, to rack up those wins. Um, and off the top of my head, I think they're currently within the eight. So yeah, they've they're got to just be happy with yeah, so they've got to be happy with that. And at the moment, in this point of the competition, that's all you want to be doing if you're within that kind of 8 to 12 spot, is do all you can to kind of stay in 8th or 7th. 
So this match enabled the Force to jump up into 8th position on 18 points. Actually jumped over the Drua on 17 points. So really, really important in terms of finals aspirations. Um, now, moving forward into the next game of the weekend, it was the Hurricane 71, Moana 22. Look, I really feel for Moana at this point of the season. They are winless. They only have three losing bonus points. Their points differential is minus 230. And they have had a really, really rough season. I mean, Lockie, how, what can we say about this game, really? Not much positive from the second half. I mean, they were still within yeah. touching distance. They stalled some really good tries and they were expansive and, you know, attacked really well, particularly in the wider channels from 15 to halfway. I mean, 15 to the sideline. But the... Hurricanes have so many weapons in the duffel. Then they're pulling out Geordie Barrett, and when he's not firing, they give it to Rayasi. And when they don't have Rayasi, they give it to Savia. I mean, these are genuine game breakers that are lining up, and they're hurting after a loss to the Drua. So, I mean, that's an awful recipe for Moana coming up against them. And I do feel for them playing at Mount Smart. I know we've covered it before, but it's not really a home ground advantage for Moana. It'd be a different kettle of fish if they're over in Alpia or Nukalofa. So the sooner we can do that, the better for them. Yep. Um, Mitch, do you mind if I move on to the Crusaders Blues? Yep, go for it. Easy. Crusaders 15, Blues 3. I kind of, in a way, expected a bit more in terms of um, kind of the punch that both teams were able to offer. Just considering the star-studded nature of particularly the back lines here, it's almost like for the first half particularly they cancelled each other out. Mitch, what's going on with the Blues? They really seem to have, over the last few weeks, maybe taken a bit of a step backwards in terms of the aspirations they had for a top four finish. Look, I'll have to put my hand up and say I haven't actually seen a lot of this game. Um, I got to the Waratahs game on Saturday evening and kind of watched bits and pieces of that when I could find it on in the stadium. The one bit of play that I did see was Bowden Barrett, like, chipped to himself, made a break, like, chipped, regathered. He looked like he was kind of a one-man team at that point in the game and made a break and then ended up getting tackled with no one there in, in support. So there's so much expectation on this Blues team these last two years and they've got the lineup to really push and and be up in that top sort of two or three teams in the comp. But at the moment, they're just not delivering. And so that must be so frustrating, particularly for their fans, but also for their players, that they know that they have the ability in the, the players. They've got well beaters all along that back line. And for whatever reason, they're just not able to unleash them and click as a unit. What were your thoughts around it, Lockie? I, I was really impressed with the Blues' defense. For mm. the first 20 minutes, they didn't have the ball. They didn't have the ball at all. And they hammered defensively on their own try line and repelled wave after wave of Crusaders' attack. So I think while this was a low-scoring game, it was a really interesting game because we saw that grit to the Blues, which are typically your flashier, the high expectations. You think of the Blues, you think of Carlos Spencer, Rocco Howlett, these you know, superstars that were always attacking, attacking, but the Blues have never, for mine, been renowned for their defence. We saw that. We saw that against the Crusaders for that opening stanza, which I think drained them for the rest of the game, really. They lost, um, I think, Don Papali'i received a card as well, which sapped them further, and the Crusaders eventually too good and able to execute. But for mine... You're right, it's tough to see the Blues have all that expectation and all of a sudden, you know, Ricky Ioane's not popping up after scrums and saying good day, is he, when they're on the <laughs> end of a losing losing game in Christchurch. So it'll be a massive game for them when they come to the um, come to Brisbane next weekend 
against the all-conquering Reds. We'll see how they go then. <laughs> the all-conquering? Don't you mean the uh, singular conquering Reds? <laughs> I will take, we'll take it for now. Yeah, and you know I what I would too. <laughs> I, I would very much too. Um, look, there's moving on to what's really the second match of the round. We have the Waratahs versus the Rebels, 38 to 20. And the Rebels jumped out to a 14 to nil lead. And I posted at the game, we don't hold on to the pill. Hooper gives away a stupid obstruction penalty and then a Melbourne Rebels score. It was rubbish play to open a game. And the Waratahs are so much better than the first 20 minutes of the game that they played. But I'm really concerned that they're still having these moments of just making just, just brain-dead decisions and um, giving the ball away really cheaply. Sure, they're likely to remain within the top eight unless there's a massive, massive implosion over the coming weeks. Um, but I really struggle to see them moving beyond the first round of finals with the current style of playing. Mitch, I'll throw it to you. What were your initial thoughts? Yes, we came away with the win. Um, how are you feeling now, the couple of days after that result? First of all, I've got to say, uh, it's nice to see your hair's growing back a little bit because that first 20 minutes, you were literally pulling your hair out. You were so frustrated <laughs> sitting next to you. So you were just bad, like, we've got man. nothing. This is so bad. Uh, so bad. But I mean, credit to the Rebels in that first 15, 20 minutes of the game. Yep. They put the Waratahs under pressure and they they fired. They scored those tries and had Monte Iwani not drop those two pills with an open try line. They're probably two extra points or two extra tries up as well. So they were putting the Waratahs under a lot of pressure. They were forcing them to make those mistakes. Uh, but unfortunately, as we're starting to see with this Rebels team, they're not able to stick with it in games and play a full 80 minutes. Uh, they came out in the second half, and after that first yellow card to Wilkin, they seemed to kind of just, the wheels fell off, and they just mm -hmm. seemed to lose all kind of direction But from that point. The second yellow card later in the second half, and it, it looked like an uphill battle from there. They didn't look as composed. They didn't seem yep. to stick to their structures as well. They were still carrying the ball with dominance, but the Waratahs just looked far more clinical with ball in hand. Ben Donaldson had his, the game of the season for, for mine, taking the ball to the line. That try that he set up right on full time was just too good as a Tars fan. We both didn't see it coming and we both jumped up all excited when Izzy Priestley finally got over and, and batted that ball down. What did you think, Lockie? Do you think this was more... Uh, the Waratahs being too good or the Rebels kind of just falling apart? I think you've got to put it down to another Rebels flop, unfortunately. And not to you know, have a crack at the Tars, I think it's really positive that the Tars found a way to win and win with a bonus point when they're not playing at their best. I think typically when you see a strong Tars, you do see a strong Australian rugby side. So I'm very happy from that perspective. Yeah, but they are really, the best I mean, team in the comp. Yeah, This is nice. This is nice, chat. Um, but <laughs> the, <laughs> The excuse me, sorry. I'll 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 take a moment while my all conquering Reds enjoy the spotlight. <laughs> but realistically, this was a game the Rebels should have won. They butchered those chances before halftime. They could potentially go in four tries to zip, and I mean they threw it away. They literally threw it away. I mean you should be sending boxes of flowers and chocolates to Monty's address down in Melbourne because if they'd scored those, it's a total totally different game that we're looking at. But you're right, the Tars did grind really well, and I was impressed with Donaldson. I'm not going to call him Stephen Larkham, but it was very Larkham-esque, <laughs> the last try, taking the ball to the line, the way he's able to manipulate the defence. 
So I'm not blowing smoke up him, but that was really good to see from an Australian rugby perspective as well. Yeah, definitely. And uh, do you take a lot of joy from seeing a win when realistically you weren't playing at your best for the Tars? Oh, look, I'm not going to say joy, but there is a bit of, yeah, there's definitely that positive angle to it, hey? Um, it's really good to see the team not play particularly well, but still grind out a win. Um, and an interesting point is like the Rebels have been such a mixed bag this season. They have shown some absolutely incredible moments throughout this season where, for example, against the Blues, they were up, where's the score? 17-13 at half time before capitulating 17-54. Against the Crusaders, up 24-12 before capitulating 27-43. to um, And the story goes on. I'm just looking through their scores now. It's 14-17 at the half time against the Waratahs. And then they scored three points in the second half and we scored 24. So it just shows that the Rebels have... The, it's that old cliche of, oh, yeah, we're yet to play a full 80-minute game. But, I mean, the stats don't lie on this one. Mm. If the Rebels had actually been able to put in an 80-minute performance and carry so much of the good work that they've been able to do in patches through for, like, another 20 minutes of the second half at least, they would be so much higher on the ladder. And, and they deserve it, in a way. They deserve it because they've been so good at points and the team has come a long way um but conversely but conversely it's really good to see the tars actually go to their straps and um come away with the win mitch we had we had a couple of interesting moments where the first entry into the 22 mm. um actually resulted in i've got a mozzie I'm trying to kill it as I'm so glad you um, brought this up Ando yeah I'm no so thank you, you sorry I'm like that dog in up it's like <gasps> squirrels that's me um <laughs> but basically we had that first try that came up and got the penalty try and then again Josh Cannum in the second half I think yeah. got yellow carded as well with the penalty try now briefly give us your thoughts on this one because you were you and I were ranting about this in the car on the way home yeah, that this is what I'm Briefly. proud of you bringing up. Not so much the fly <laughs> thing, uh, but the the fly, whatever it is. Uh, I I just find it so. I almost feel bad for the rebels. Well, I do feel bad for the rebels. And as hard as this is as a Waratahs fan to sit here and say, but I really feel like they didn't get the rub of the green by the referees in some of the calls in this game. And the fact that the Waratahs got given a penalty try. Yes, you can no dis no like the the call wasn't wrong. Wilkin did. Uh, detached from the mall and then ended up sacking Preki. But it's so hard as a rugby fan to sit here and say that the Rebels deserved a penalty try and a yellow card there when they had been so dominant up until that point in the game. It was like the one infringement that they had given in the 22, the Waratahs' first entry into the 22, and they end up losing a play for 10 minutes. No warnings, nothing. And How then interesting. early in the Can second half, the there? same thing happens. Let me just jump in there because you're right. There was the, the comment you made about within a 22, no warnings given in a 22 was really important because Brad Wilkin did get pinged the ruck before this or the play before this for, I think, hands in a ruck or not supporting his body weight or something like that. Yep. And, and he kind of got told off for that one. And then he was the one that gives away. And so the ref was like, oh, I spoke to you in a previous ruck, cynical, blah, blah, blah. So here you go. Here's the yellow card. And I was like, they're not, it's not repeated infringements. They're not the same. Yeah, the other one was not, in the yeah. 10 meter in the Waratahs half. Like, yeah, it, anyway, yeah. anyway, just to support what you were saying there. 
Yeah, I just find it's so frustrating around the malls at the moment that a team, it's, I'm not saying that what the Rebels did wasn't wrong or was right. They did sack and they did stop the Waratahs from scoring tries, but I just feel it's so difficult for teams to defend a mall, to bring the play down and then also get concede seven points and also 10 minutes in the bin at the same time. It's just, yep. Yep. it's just such a frustration <laughs> for mine, the mall at the moment. Lucky, is your it verdict? just me or are we not seeing teams, we're not seeing teams try and sack them all. It has, has there been rule changes around taking out the jumper once they've hit the ground or are we just at a stage where mall structure is too good that a sack doesn't work anymore? I think sure. teams are getting much better at setting up the mall in that they've got mm. their, their lifters right there. And we've seen it being penalised against the attacking team a few times where they've got the timing wrong and the lifters end up getting in front and so they call obstruction. And I think mm. that's where it gets really difficult to be able to actually sack that player because you've got two locks that are latching straight onto them and they'll hold them up. Mm. Yeah, interesting It's, it's such an interesting dynamic for me. And I know we could, we could, I could honestly go on about this for ages because we're experiencing it with um, the schoolboy team that I coach at the moment as well. But I find that dynamic massively interesting and important to this level of super rugby because we see obstruction calls from one referee or we yep. see a no bind mall and that's play on from another referee and there are these little inconsistencies in super rugby pacific that i'm not sure whether they'll be sort of spread across the globe when it comes to rugby world cup time so i'll put away my nerd um, it just almost does it almost feels like the mall oh. is too op at times isn't it if you can yep. set yeah, up that, a, that, an effective that's how it mall feels to you just can't defend it against it, really. If you collapse it, you give away a penalty try. Well, long may the Waratahs set up um, unbeatable malls. That's what I'm coming away with. And whilst I genuinely do like the Rebels and um, they can always give me more free merch, I'll always Yeah, thanks for the shirts, that. guys. We'll thanks, pre we appreciate thanks, that. Guys, appreciate yep. that. Um, but whatever, we beat them, we win. So the Waratahs are currently sitting now uh, in sixth on 26 points and it's a pretty big gap of eight points between them and the blues so it's unlikely we're going to catch them but if we can consolidate six spot then that is positive at least all right mm -hmm. move on now into the brumbies versus highlanders we spoke too long in Atars. i'm really sorry basically what the um what the continued positive form of the brumbies has been providing this season is an opportunity for kind of like early 30s late 20s early 30s maybe a bit later aged men to just bring out all of their simpsons references in terms of the Corey hotline for Corey tool he has just been incredible so his try on the weekend lucky the run around the outside the chip and regather and is it up there as the best try of the super rugby campaign so far it'd be up there it was Unreal. He's so quick. Mm. We, we've all seen his highlights from the World 7 Series, him skinning people from behind his own posts and running 110 and scoring. He's, he's a speed freak. And I'll, I'll leave you with a quick anecdote on Corey Tall. I worked out in Wagga Wagga uh, for a little bit um, as a cadet journalist when I was first starting. And he, as a 16-year-old, was playing premier grade in Wagga, which is eighth grade anywhere else. Blessings to Wagga Rugby. <laughs> Um, so he was playing against me and he scored five tries against our team by himself in the game that we played against Wagga Waratah. Shout out to them and CSU Reddies. But he's, he's a monster. He's a total speed freak and he always has been. So it's not surprising to see him do it. 
to professionals at the highest level. He is extraordinary when it comes to just his turn of pace. And yep. we're getting to the stage which we, we kind of have to consider him in those Wallaby discussions over the next few years. Not immediately, but over the next few years. My uh, reverse Uno card for you, Lockie, is does this tools try this weekend, does that beat Valentini's try last year where he chips it through himself and ends up just grounding it? Which one's no better? No way. No, Piggy's try wins all day. Yeah. Good. All Good day. answer. Good answer. Yeah, I thought so. So it's not the best Brumbies try of the century. No, <laughs> no, that's Bobby's. Yeah, nice. Uh, answer, answering the question though, like he did, he's playing so well and just his outright speed is, it's, it puts him into discussion. The hardest thing at the moment is that we have so men, so much talent in the back three or at least in the wing positions for the Wallabies at the moment. And each player brings something so completely unique that, Eddie Jones really has to decide whether he wants an out-and-out speedster, whether he wants a finisher, whether he wants uh, someone who is just got the, the like the rugby knowledge, like Andrew Kellaway, to be able to finish things off, pop up in the midfield, be versatile. Nwangani Tawasi is a finisher. Corey Tool's just the out-and-out speed. Marika Korobetti is kind of that like bolder, no one can stop him, great in defense. There's just so many options at the moment for Australian mm-hmm. rugby. It's really well, exciting. But which way will he go? We don't really know, do we? No. And and that's a really fun part. So getting to the game itself, I mean, the Brumbies, they were really troubled by the Highlanders throughout this match. Um, the Highlanders performed really, really well. And the possession territory stats, 44% possession and 37% territory for the Brumbies. I mean, the part of the story was that Brumbies really, really struggled to be clearing their own line but did take, well, create and then take opportunities as they were given. And their class was able to pull away in the end and secure the victory. Lockie, what do you think the Brumbies will be taking away from this victory? You were bang on there with their exits from restart. They couldn't Mm. clear. They weren't able to clear at all. And whether that was just the pressure that the Highlanders were placing from kickoff, I saw Billy Harmon was really busy um, in their loose forward unit and Falau Fakatava had a strong game organising the defence as well. I thought he was one of the Highlanders' best with Harmon and Margaret Jensen. But I think the Highlanders played their typical game, which is a helter-skelter kind of a pressure game that works really well for them. They thrive in the chaos from what we've seen, and they were able to really put the Brumbies under pressure like we haven't seen so far this year. I mean, it's happened across the ditch against the Crusaders and the Hurricanes where they've put mass pressure on the playmakers, but the Highlanders might have opened up a bit of a blueprint as to how other teams can tackle the Brumbies over the next few weeks, and that is intense kick chase from restarts and just try to lock them into their 22. But to their credit, with, what, 38% possession or territory, they've put on 48 points. That is unbelievable return for the time you've got with the ball, so they're doing something right on the counter, aren't they? 100%. And, I mean, that goes away from just that standard... um joke that we always make about the Brumbies is that they can't do anything except more. Um, they always score when it's like 10 metres away from the t- sidelines kind of thing. And it's just, it's just not true that they are such a much more well-rounded team than that nowadays that they can be offering more. But we have spoken about these results at length. Loved it. It is now time, Lockie, for you to take the wheel and take us through the match of the round. So over to you, my friend. Ah, I am still fizzing. I'm fizzing. It was such a great game. And I think any Australian rugby fan or any rugby fan 
across Super Rugby will have to celebrate this because no one likes seeing a team go through undefeated unless it's theirs. So if you're from Hamilton, I apologise. But how good to see the Chiefs knocked over across the ditch by a team that no one gave any hope of a chance to. I mean, realistically, you looked at the team that was named and on paper it looked like, and there was a lot of media coverage about this, a team that was resigned to trying to double down over the next few weeks, let this one go by the wayside. They dropped Harry Wilson back to the bench. They'd shifted up their front row. It was a bit of a makeshift back line when you look at the coverage that they had across the back three. Dagunu well. at 13. And Dagunu at 13, who has notably not been the strongest defender on the wing throughout the season. And it just worked. And it came down to intense defensive pressure. It was all effort. All effort and a really strong kicking game from a fullback from Jock Campbell. But as an Australian rugby fan, Ando, you look at this result, you try and put your Reds bias aside. What does this result mean to you as an Australian rugby fan? It, it just helps um, on the... It, it's putting another stone in the path to changing the narrative of Australian versus New Zealand rugby. It's just, it's just changing the easy beat status of Australian teams over in New Zealand. Now, it's one match. It's one match along that journey, but it is good to see an Aussie team go over and do what nobody thought they were going to do and get this win. So I don't mind it at all. I was stoked for the Reds and incredibly happy that they were able to get this win. Because much like Mitch with his weird obsession with the Melbourne Rebels, don't worry, I love it. Um, I am also an Australian rugby fan. Um, so just seeing the Reds get up, what is it, 26, 28 phases that are able to defend on their own line at the end of the game to come away with the win and then hold him up over the line to get the turnover to finish the game. I mean, what an incredible finish to an incredible match and well-deserved by the Reds. Mitch, looking at the Reds' season so far, they were going into this game with, what, four wins after 11 rounds? Certainly not on the upper side of the draw. Looking at this result, was it possible even halfway through the match as they're up, do you look at this game and think it's a doable scenario for the Queensland Reds? I mean, I uh, I was expecting them to lose this all the way through. Even when I, I thought he got the try down right on full, like <laughs> right before the, the ref blew the whistle and I was just waiting for it. 26 phases of incredible defense to keep them out. Their defense throughout the whole game was just phenomenal and it's not... It's a level we haven't seen from this Reds team all year. So they've, they've shown their hand now. But where's that been for the last 11 rounds? I mean, come mm-hmm. on. Incredible performance by them to do that, to keep them out. Um, we, I think as Australian rugby fans, we all just were expecting the Kiwis to find a way to win there. And it's been the narrative for the last 20 years that when the game's tight like that, the Kiwi team has possession. They're in the 22. They'll just keep phase. They'll just keep picking and driving until they get over the line and score. The fact that the Reds were able to turn them around time and time again, keep them up over the line at the end there and get the victory was just so rewarding, not just for the Queenslanders, but for everyone in Australian rugby. It was a massive punch in the face to the Kiwis. No, you're not going through this competition as undefeated. You've been good this year, Chiefs, but you're not good enough to beat the Reds at the moment. And that's that's the best part. It is, it's so satisfying. And I love, I love the support. It's a beautiful Maroon <laughs> family right now, which is nice to hear on Pick and Drive. 
But what I wanted to quickly share and discuss with you both is the some of the changes that were made as we discussed at the start of the segment around selection. We picked a Filippo Danguno at 13, who's typically an outside back and who typically jams in on his defenders. We've picked a brand new front row at the start. And crucially, we've gone Sarah Uru at number eight. The Reds made a decision to put him in. And he had such a strong game at number eight. He had 50 minutes of pure hard work and grit. And the defensive structures revolved around our pressure in at 13 and just jamming these Kiwi sides because we see so successfully the Chiefs throughout the year play that league shape out the back through McKenzie, through Stevenson. But there was no space for them because Mm. the Reds' defence pushed up so tightly. And is that potentially a plan going forward to shut down some of these Kiwi teams that attack so effectively at the back? Could we see this replicated? I think we could. Uh, It'll slightly depend upon one element of it, at least, that I identified and saw was the way in which Tate McDermott was acting on defence against Damian McKenzie. Mm -hmm. So it was really noticeable how McKenzie... The, the best player I have as a reference point for this is Faf de Klerk when playing for South Africa, how he'll basically just be an extra defender. He's not counted in the defensive line and he will time his runs for the um, halfback to release the ball, scrum half to release, release the ball. So he can rush forward and then put pressure on the receiving 10. And McDermott did that a number of times on um, Damian McKenzie and even if he didn't always get the tackle like there were a couple of times that McKenzie would have to step inside and so um, Tate would miss the tackle but he would have caused McKenzie to change the direction of the attack because of that run and I think what it did was enabled um, the Reds to control the direction of their well the attack but therefore their own defense a little bit more And, I mean, what was the main time that we saw McKenzie absolutely cut loose? It was off a kick return opportunity where um, they just kicked it straight down the throat with a really bad chase. It wasn't contestable or anything like that. And McKenzie just kind of runs that beautiful arc, getting on the outside of the Reds' defensive players before I think it was Nanai Saturo went over for the try. Um, So it just shows what can be done if you have the players with the confidence and fitness to be able to pull it off and Tate, I think defensively probably had one of his best games I've seen for the Reds. I think when we look at this game in retrospect, and it will be, it'll go down in history as a regular season game. And there's a very high likelihood Chiefs kick on much deeper than the Reds into the finals. But that effort from an Australian rugby side, particularly in defence, will stand out. I think for people who are watching and people who are invested like we are, is it wasn't a particular skill set. It wasn't a particular moment of brilliance. It was just gutsy. I think that's what's really pleasing to see from an Australian rugby perspective. We haven't seen a defensive effort, or I haven't seen one since, I reckon, the 2015 World Cup against Wales in that pool game, down to 13 men and defending like anything. So that element of it was really exciting to see. But that's enough Waxing lyrical from me. I'll put my hand up and say I'm done now. But I would just say the, the, the best thing too as an Australian rugby fan based on this is that Eddie, that, that's the one thing that Eddie Jones has spoken about repeated, repeatedly this year from the team. Not, not about selections, not about who's going to be playing and, and you know what moves they're going to be pulling and that kind of thing, what kind of fullback he wants, what kind of wing. But the, the effort 
and the like intention and to get up and to have that kind of that digger mentality of keep pushing in for your mates and, and playing together. Um, and that's that sums up this performance completely for the Reds. There was a few times in that first half where they gave away that that try that um, Nanai Saturo gets, that intercept was just, mm. it's the, like the classic Aussie rugby thing that happens. You give away a poor pass and a New Zealand team pounces on it. Teams can go to get in their heads then and start the heads start to drop, but they came back, they scored a try, they leveled up at halftime, they stuck with the Chiefs, they applied pressure and they ended up winning the game. And that's what Eddie Jones is going to want to see. And so far this season, as good as the Brumbies have been, I don't think that they have put in a defensive effort as good as this Reds performance was this weekend. So I do wonder if that then starts to open some of Eddie Jones's selection ideas and and players like Harry Wilson. I wonder if this is the type of game that he has been ex- wanting to see from him to step up and show. Uh, and, and that's kind of the mind games that's starting to pay off that they're getting inside these players' heads by the non-selections and, and whatnot. Well, talking about players that stood out, I think that there was a particular coach that stood out, and that was Brad Thorne, who made probably the best um, tactical substitution decision that I can remember from him. So the it's the 37th minute of the game. The Reds have just had the opportunity to get a penalty within the Chiefs' half and have gone for the kick into the corner. And at this point, the Reds have lost the last three or four lineouts, either by not straight throws from Richie Asiata or from um, or from just lineout misses by the jumpers and the like. Either way, it's not functioning. And the scrum hadn't been particularly dominant either. So what does he do? 37th minute of the game changes the entire front row, brings Matty Faisal on and throws an inch-perfect pass into the lineout. Sets up for the driving mall. It does go down, um, and they play a few more phases before Tate McDermott throws a massive dummy for Sam Penny for now, which is disappointing. He had a great game. Um, <laughs> and goes over for the try. And that capacity to score in the 41st minute, so extra time of the first half, and then Jock Campbell's try in the 44th minute, that is, I mean, those are those championship minutes. It's what the Kiwi teams always buddy do to us. And yet here we are having a coach making a bold, a bold tactical substitution that immediately results in a try. It, I was just clapping my hands for Brad Thorne, really, really impressed with him and the staff, coaching staff's decision to make those changes. I mean, Lockie, I'm not sure it's anything I've seen before, but I mean, Brad Thorne coming away from this match must have been so proud of the team and a little bit chuffed about the decision he made. You'd have to think there's a bit of satisfaction as part of it as well from Thorny. And it's good to see. I mean, we know he's heading off at the season's end. He's had his detractors and his critics, but this goes down as his best win. I think it surpasses the Super Rugby AU final, in all honesty, being able to go over against the Chiefs and get a win over in enemy territory. It's fantastic. And you're right, the decision to change the front row was immense because... I mean, Matty Fazler has had a great season. His impact was noted by you. But Zane Nongor had his best game that I've seen him play in a red jersey as well. It's so much pressure on the Reds' front row without Taniela Tupo, without Alex Murphy, who's at the Rebels as well, and these younger players and, and more experience as well. The Seth Fagasis, the George Blakes, the Richie Asiatas, they're all starting to form a really strong almost front six 
that we can interchange and seeing Zane Nongor getting through his work against a big Chiefs pack who admittedly were missing people like Sam Kane and influential players on the park and the Brad Webbers. But it's a massive turning point for what's been a young red side that's starting to now be into that mature 25 to 27 age block and they need to start demonstrating that with these kinds of wins. Lockie, yep. do you think this win is enough of a springboard to project this Reds into, uh, I guess, success in some format for the rest of the season? Is this enough of a performance to kind of spark something? Not by itself. Not by itself. Lots of people will go in and say, this is the turning point. This is the X, the Y, and it can be, but it isn't without follow-up action. There's the Blues coming to town, and then we're back across the ditch against the Highlanders before finishing in Suva. We've got a really tough run home from a Queensland perspective. So it means nothing for me personally, if the Reds can't go now and do a job against the Blues at home. Mm. So we'll see. Yep. Yeah, one final comment I'd love to jump in with, guys, if you don't mind, is um, some of the conversations coming around um, the changes that the Chiefs made for this match. So the Chiefs changed six of the eight forwards between the match last week against the Highlanders and playing the Reds this week. So only two forwards as Tupo Vai and Luke Jacobson remained from the starting eight last week. And they made two changes in the back line. It was a pretty, pretty star-studded back line as well. So eight of the 15 of the, well, eight of the starting 15 were changed. But at the same time, it's not as though you've got bad players coming in at all. Like mm-hmm. Samapeni Finau was immense. Josh Lord was excellent. Um, Bradley Slater and John Ryan are immensely experienced. And Cortez Ratima at nine is an incredibly good player. And I mean, you can point to a whole host of Queensland Reds players who are injured and unavailable as well. I mean, we already mentioned Dungunu being played at 13 because we don't have Fluke Paisami Pattaya at all. Um, look at the entire Reds front row and you just have these uh, people that go, oh, look, the Chiefs just rested a bunch of players, then this, this match doesn't really count. It's just an aberration. You just go, what are you talking about, mate? Every single match matters. And yeah, the Chiefs have taken an opportunity to try and rest some of their All Blacks and rest some of their players who've had a really heavy workload and they've paid the price for it. Sucked, sucked in. Like, that's your problem. You weren't good enough to win um, whilst resting some of your top-line players. And, like, they're still a very good team. They're still going to be excellent next week. But you can't take away from the win or take away from the loss, actually, or try and hide the loss because you rested some players. You've got to own mm. it. And I feel like that's what some of the messages coming out of um, New Zealand have been. So, I don't know. Lucky, just get your quick response to that before we move on and finish this up. Uh, there'll be a lot of salty um, people coming out of the Waikato for sure. But at the end of the day, you're right. They did rest their players. Queensland's out. And at the end of the day, the Reds needed it more. It wasn't about wanting it. Yes, they put in a huge effort, but they needed to win to keep their season alive. The Chiefs, they're already there. This was always going to be some kind of banana peel game, whether it was a loss or a tighter result. And I personally would hate to be the Hurricanes heading into this weekend against the Chiefs that will get their All Blacks back. The Hurricanes have had a fun time, you know, punching up the little kid Moana Pacific <laughs> here in the schoolyard. But what happens when their big brother comes to town? <laughs> and yep. on that note of punching small children, why don't we shift across now into the locker room?
So thank you very much. Let's make <laughs> the change. Mitch, uh, who's running this section? I haven't looked at the run sheet. Who's running it? I'll do it. Why not? I'll put my hand up and run this section. So the locker room, if this is the first time tuning into the pod this week, this is where we answer our fans' questions and comments. So if the, uh, if this is the first time you've listened in, um, we do predominantly get a lot of um, comments coming in on Twitter. So that's kind of our our main channel, but we are also on Facebook and Instagram as well. So if you do want to get your thoughts or comments featured on the podcast, do keep an eye out for our socials where we send these out. Um, so the first question that comes to us, and this was a DM on Instagram that came in a few weeks ago, but I thought I would throw this to you boys and see what you thought. Something I hadn't actually thought about personally. Um, I'd like to know your thoughts. So sorry, this comes in from Intrepid Arts Australia on Instagram. And they say, I'd like to know your thoughts on moving Super Rugby to play Monday through Thursday, eliminating the cross-code competition for airtime. Could this work as a go-to to draw in more fans? Ando, thoughts? Oh, look, um, no. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to go to any games if that's the case. <laughs> um, just, and it's purely just because of work and then family and then getting into the city to watch a game starting at 7, 7.30. Like, I just wouldn't be able to. Um, and so I think it'd be pretty mm. prohibitive for a lot of a lot of fans to be able to get to the grounds in terms of like TV competition. Yeah, okay, cool. Might help from like a broadcast perspective, just in terms of like viewer numbers on stand or something. But if you want people at the grounds, I, I don't think that's going to be a sustainable mm. move um, for the competition as a whole. I do like the idea of like thinking outside the box. That's not something yeah, I have yeah, heard or definitely. seen commented a lot. So it's a, it's definitely a unique idea and um, all credit to you for coming up with it. Uh, I will also note that I think the Waratahs and Rebels game was also on the nine main channel this weekend as well. It so was. not nine gem either. So that's good to see that we are getting that coverage. Um, into some of our Twitter questions and comments, Joseph Elliott says, been hearing a lot of hate for the eight teams making playoffs, but would many of these games, games matter if there wasn't an expanded playoff? Your thoughts, Lockie? My personal preference is still for a top six and splitting the competition so there's a clear top half and a clear bottom half. But I think Joseph raises a good point. There is so much intrigue around those seventh and eighth places because there's realistically four going into two at this point. So it does make it exciting. But from a high-performance perspective, I would love to see teams one and two rewarded for finishing first and second with a bye week while there's playoffs and then run into a semi-final and final series. What are you back of that, Ando? Uh, part of me still wants like a cup and shield situation. I just love the idea um, where you have mm. the bottom half of the competition playing off for a shield instead of the actual Champions Cup or whatever um, it would be titled. I just, I'd love to see more rugby and more opportunity for Australian teams having kind of knockout or finals uh, experience and opportunities. So maybe you drop it to six and six. Um, so the top six are playing for the cup and the bottom six are playing for the shield. Um, so everybody still has an opportunity to be jockeying for positions for playoffs in whatever finals situation they find themselves in. I personally like that idea. Um, but you're right. Oh, the uh, Joseph's right in asking, would these games matter? I mean, at the moment, it's only Moana that mm. is completely out of the running for anything in terms of making the finals. You have um, the, the Western Force on 18 points, the Drua on 17, and the Rebels and the Highlanders on 15. All four of those teams can easily finish 7th or 8th, depending upon the run of results. 
So yep. yeah, there's still a lot going on yep. within this season, and that's because of the eight team playoffs. My only fear with that idea of the cup and the plate and splitting the competition is that we're we're almost making Super Rugby AU and Aotearoa again, aren't we? New Zealand play the top half, but Australia. <laughs> hey, play hey, the hey, hey. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. We've got where are those Highlanders? Where are they going? Yeah, suck it, Highlanders. Yeah. Or maybe like we'll swap one team. So currently, anyway, uh, let's move on. Michael Tomlinson, is Liam Wright still a dark horse for the Wallaby squad? Ando, what do you think? Yeah, he's been playing pretty well. He's been playing pretty well in the last few weeks. Um, so I think he is uh, possible for the training squad, yeah. Um, I don't think he's inherently going to be a front runner for like the number six jersey against the first for the first match against South Africa. Um, but he might be a part of the broader squad. But in saying that, like uh, Lockie Swinton got included in the last squad and he's out for however long and will he yeah. get chosen? Who knows? No, uh, we know sure. Liam Wright, great, great friend of the pod, great bloke, great character. He's the kind of player that I think Eddie Jones would love to have just for the culture in, uh, in the world. So <laughs> let's see how that goes. Uh, ben Vanden Linden on Twitter. After the weekend, how many Australian sides have a realistic chance of winning a quarterfinal considering the majority, two, maybe three, will be playing a Kiwi side in New Zealand. What do you think, Lockie? Well, you probably chalk the Brumbies down as winning one, so that's an easy start, given the likely face either or one of the Drua and or pick one of the other three that could potentially be in that eighth spot, as we're looking at the moment. So you'd say they'd realistically go through. But if the Blues or the Hurricanes keep slipping down, the Tars pick up a bit of momentum and the Reds are going okay, I can't see a reason why they can't realistically have a shot over the ditch. I mean, we're not saying that they're going to go over there and pump the Blues at Eden Park, but we've you now seen first. enough wins. <laughs> we're not, yes, yeah, Tars win at Eden Park quarterfinal. But we're yep. seeing enough of these results now. You know, it's a, what's this, a clean sweep of Kiwi teams this weekend. Well, where's all the calls now? So let's try and <laughs> imagine a world. Let's imagine a world where we win a couple. I'd like to see two through to the semis. I think that's a good goal. That would be a good outcome. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, Mick Ryan says, given the atrocious line-out showing across the Aussie sides, how concerned should we be for the Wallabies? Ando? Yeah, look, not too, not too concerned because I think you're just taking the best of the individual squads and bringing them across. Um, we know that Dave Parecki is a quality line-out operator as well and that we've got some excellent locks spread throughout the team. So I'm, I'm not that concerned. Interesting that Dan Palmer has been listed as the Wallabies line-out coach, considering he's primarily mm. been a scrum coach at the Brumbies. Um, so it will just, yeah, be, be an interesting one to see how that kind of plays out. Um, but I, I'm not concerned. I'll answer this next one. Hugh Tyndall, is the year of the tar back on 100%? Yes. Definitely. Yep. It was never on. Definitely. It was never it off. It was never That's off. Right. It was never off. Uh, <laughs> um just just quietly on that one. Um, so, like, we're not encouraging betting. I'm a responsible adult. I put 50 bucks into my sports bet account about two years ago, and I finally run out of money on it. <laughs> I've never put anything else back in, but I still have one bet outstanding, and that was my um, $5 in a Waratahs to win <laughs> the beginning of the season. This year? Yeah, <laughs> win this year. <laughs> so that comes true, or oh, I'm making some bank. Put the house on it. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I still believe. I still believe. I might throw this next one to you, Ando, just because I know that you're an absolute. You you, you understand Craig and um, Balombar <laughs> on Twitter, and you're you definitely ascribe to his train of thought. So with two of New Zealand rugby seven franchises at the bottom of the table, 
Does calling for the participation of only two or three Aussie teams in Super Rugby now appear cohesively naive? Matt, I think you've used the word cohesively wrong in that sentence, Craig, but I, I love you and everything you bring to rugby Twitter. Um, <laughs> so you got to throw the C word in, don't you? If you're tweeting about you rugby. To. We just need to put it, it in somewhere. every episode. It's like us putting Eddie Jones in every episode title for our podcast. It just, just gets the clicks, gets the views. But that's manifestation. It. If we keep saying it, eventually he'll show up. This is true. This is true. Um, Look, I'm not entirely sure what he's asking there, but I will just say that it's fun to be able to point to the Highlanders and claim that they shouldn't be in Super Rugby. I do enjoy that. Um, but I think that the best explanation of this is Gold Diggers, the Search for Australian Rugby, um, because he obviously goes through all of the cohesion information that comes through Game Line Analytics. Um, but also what resulted from that really effectively is a conversation around the statistical elements of what has been presented, but combined with the commercial realities of the product that needs to be presented. Um, and so even though it might make sense from a purely rugby outcomes point of view in terms of like win percentages and stuff, to have one or even two teams cut. So honestly, having the Force and the Rebels gone and just having the three original super teams could make sense. It's just not going to happen and it should not happen as well. So you've got to look at different ways in which you can be building that cohesion. And I think that, um, yeah, the way in which the competition has been set up now is probably the way it should just be moving forward. And we, don't, we shouldn't be looking to change it anytime soon. So I know that didn't answer what Craig was saying, but it's around the topic. <laughs> I love that you threw to uh, Matt at Gold Digger because there is one comment on that post and it was Matt. And I think it was just the words, no. It was just the word, <laughs> no. So on the pulse, Ando. Keep, let's keep moving on. Uh, my shout, am I the only rugby fan who thinks advantages are way too long and spoil things, especially near try lines? Am I the only rugby fan who hates the endless rucks, malls, pig and drives? It's not darts there. Pig and drives. Let's get that right. Uh, near the Thank try you. line, tedious, boring, and cleaning out is an ugly part of the game too. What do you think there, Lockie? There's a, there's a fair bit in there. Lots to get through there, but I'm not sure if my shout, I hope he was watching the Reds Chiefs game because I'm taking it back to that, but I thought Paul Williams throughout that game played advantages really well and they were short. And they were really clinical around, no, you've made X amount of metres. You've mm. had this amount of time with the ball and you have gained an advantage. I love seeing that style of refereeing. I love seeing advantage rewarded when it's given and not these you know, 12 phases of pick and drive when you still go 10 metres and then get a penalty. I think that's yeah. absurd. So, yes, by and large, I've found that advantages can be way too long and reward the attacking team. So hopefully we're starting to see the likes of Paul Williams and these top-level referees doing a bang-up job of that and keeping those advantages short. Love it. Well done. Uh, let's shift lastly into our comments on Instagram. So the Frog and Toad has said, now that Eddie has announced his full coaching squad, can we get a wrap on the team? Um, what, what, does, what does that mean? Any thoughts uh, there? Like, a, do we want to go through the team, do you think? about the team, um, the coaching squad. I think what we might do is save that for another episode because we have been going for an hour. We might do that next week. Yeah. Mm. Talking we might do our, about um, some of the Wallabies set up. Yeah, we were thinking this week whether we do news or Wallaroos, and Wallaroos is 
pretty important. There's a big game this weekend. So next week we might focus on some news that's come out. We've got the World's Cup uh, referees team announced as well. So we'll go through that and, um, yeah, we'll we'll get to that next week, Frog and Toto. Thanks for sending that question in. And last one, Ando, this one, you've got to answer this. Um, Andy on Instagram says, should Ben Donaldson have yelled Carter Gordon after his try? No, he should have yelled Noah Lola see who? And then just turn and walk away from the camera. <laughs> You've been good. sitting on that for days. Look, I haven't. It was just inspiration when I when that question got asked. I've got to say, dad jokes just coming through left, right and centre. Um, look, I think we should just drop the mic and end the podcast there. Thoughts? That's got to be the title <laughs> as well. Ah, uh, good. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it has been an absolute pleasure being here with you on what for us is a Monday night, for you some point within the week. And as we said before, please make sure that you are getting out to the Wallaroos in Sydney at Allianz Stadium this weekend. I believe the game is starting at 5, followed up by the Waratahs at 7.30. So get involved as a double header. Get out to support the women as well as Shannon Parry. Uh, Lockie, mate, thanks so much for coming on the pod. A great opportunity to talk up the Reds with a historic win over in New Zealand. Always a pleasure. Happy to talk about the Reds at any stage. And thanks for having me on, guys. Always a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Mitch, it's been good, mate. Thank you. Hope you have a great week. Anything you want to sign off with before we go? No, we'll see you all this same time next week. And uh, yeah, go the Wallaroos on the weekend. Looking forward to it. Let's go. All right. See you, everybody. Bye. Bye.